How do you respond under pressure as a Christian? When the world pressurizes you to fit in with its ways. Let's take a look at uh, some cartoons on this theme. That's our first one, the Radical Art Group exhibition. And our second one. Great. And my favorite, the third one, which says, I just don't understand why you dress that way, baggy pants and underwear showing. I don't want to conform to a specific look. I want to show my individuality. Yo, yo, they all shout. So the writer Oscar Wilde said, be yourself. Everyone else is taken. But as one of those cartoons showed, it's actually quite hard to be yourself when everybody else looks exactly the same. It's hard knowing how to fit in, whether to fit in, in what way to fit in, whether God wants us to fit in or not. To know what it means to live a life of integrity as a Christian in this world. And the book of Daniel is all about how God seeks to grow us in personal integrity so that we can navigate the complex culture in which we live, so that we can remain true to our inmost beliefs and values. Because we all face really tough situations and conflicts of interest in our lives. And in our Sunday services here, we often talk uh, honestly about wanting to invite you to bring the worst parts of yourself in confession to God so that you can know his forgiveness and mercy. But actually, it can be very challenging not to bring the worst part of ourselves, but the best parts of ourselves into play in the world as Christians, on our hospital ward, at our rowing club dinner, in the company office where we work. It can just be hard to live according to the better angels of our nature when the culture is squeezing us. And Daniel and his friends here, they're in a high-pressure situation. They've been taken captive from the city of Jerusalem to Babylon. They've lost everything, but they haven't lost their God. And we haven't lost our God in whatever situation of pressure we face in our lives. In any season, in any culture of darkness, and Babylon was a very dark culture of pagan gods, darkness will always threaten to envelop us. And the easy way of responding will always be to survive by conforming to its ways, to the kingdom of this world. But this is not how God calls us to be. The American writer Rita Mae Brown said, the reward for conformity is that everyone likes you apart from yourself. In the darkness, as Christians, God calls us to a different way. I've been reading about diamond mines uh, this week and about how diamonds are formed deep, deep down under the earth in, in situations of very high temperature and under high pressure. And down in these mines, you can basically either focus on the dirt and the mud and the rubble and the gravel, or you can look for the diamonds. It's your choice. Similarly, it can be hard to withstand pressure 
in our lives. But pressure also provides conditions for unique growth. There are jewels to be discovered in situations of pressure. Before I became a follower of Jesus, I worked as a theatre director in the world. And, and like a good actor myself, I was very practised as a chameleon in my life. I knew how to fit my face to fit the context. And beyond personal ambition, I, I didn't really have much sense of what my core values were. But when I came to faith, when I met Jesus, then God filled me with strong convictions. And suddenly the question of personal integrity, of how to act in a world that now felt very different, that became much more urgent. And yet even today, when I find myself in the place of pressure, when my integrity is challenged, I notice three stories that I can tell myself. Firstly, I wouldn't be in this situation if I was a true Christian. True Christians don't get into these kind of fixes. They don't know this kind of pressure. It's my fault I've ended up here. Secondly, I'm not sure where God is in all this. I feel distant from him. I can't feel his presence. Perhaps he's withdrawn. Perhaps he's abandoned me. I don't know. I'm alone. I'm scared. Or number three, I just, I'm sure I'm meant to grow into spiritual maturity in the kind of quiet, intimate place of prayer and communion with God. Not when I'm suffering extreme situations of pressure. So let's learn from what Daniel and his friends here uh, learn, how, how to act with integrity, how to act with resilience in response to complex challenges. How do they not only look for diamonds in the darkness of their situation, but actually become diamonds, become people who are like jewels in the culture they've been placed? And the first thing that we see matters in our response to pressure is the depth of our devotion. Daniel has got a deep devotional life. He is passionate about the worship of God. In fact, in chapter 6 of the book, he's still praying in front of an open window that faces Jerusalem three times a day. He and his friends have been shaped by their worship in Jerusalem. Babylon can take the best of these youths out of Jerusalem, but it can't take the best of Jerusalem out of these youths. It's less about knowing who you are than whose you are, and these young men know whose they are. How you spend time with God in the secret place of prayer will determine how you act on the public stage. And look at the profile of these youths. Let me just read it again. Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men, young men, young men here tonight, listen up to this description, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Raise a hand, young men, if you feel you fulfill all these attributes. Okay, we've, okay, I see two. Not so young over here. The point is, is that these young men have every reason 
to feel that they can excel on the basis of their gifts and their background alone. And yet they live in the fear of the Lord. They won't sell out because they're set apart. And you are called to be set apart for the Lord. If you're not discipled to God, you will become progressively discipled to the culture. And that erosion of integrity, it happens actually very imperceptibly. There's a terrific actor who used to be in Coronation Street called Jack Smethurst who died in February this year. And when I was working as a theatre director, I worked with this actor, Jack, on a, a production of a play by the American playwright Arthur Miller set in the docklands of New York. And as I misdirected a scene uh, early in the rehearsals, um, underlining the downfall that was going to happen to the main character in his very first scene, Jack just kind of quietly took me aside and he told me to lighten up the way we were playing the scene. And he murmured this line to me. I've never forgot it. Great catastrophes happen quietly. Great catastrophes happen quietly and they begin quietly. He was right. You never think with your first integrity defeat where it will lead you. But integrity slippage can lead to personal disaster in time. And integrity describes that perfect balance between our inner beliefs and our outer behavior. That's the kind of the perfection of integrity. But when we begin to experience a disconnect between those two, when we suddenly find ourselves going along with some kind of behavior in our business or in our workplace that's not so ethical, but feeling a tremendous conflict inside, then in our spirit we grow weaker. Our integrity is compromised. Now listen to this description of Daniel coming later in the book. As a man greatly beloved by God. A man greatly beloved by God because he spends time in the presence of God. He knows God intimately. And therefore, when Daniel's integrity is challenged, he knows how to be true to his God. Because he knows whose he is, not simply who he is. He doesn't balk at an integrity challenge. He responds with an integrity stretch. That's Daniel. And then the second thing that gives you strength to face pressure in life is your sureness about God's sovereignty. I mean, Daniel's situation and his friend's situation on paper, it is completely wretched. They are captive to Babylonian culture. They've been wrenched away from their homelands and from their families. And in one sense, there are very few grounds for hope for them. But these problems shift in the light of God's perspective. Daniel is writing this book, and listen to how he starts that chapter that Emily just read. First of all, he describes the way that Nebuchadnezzar ransacks Jerusalem, and then he goes on like this. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These Nebuchadnezzar carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. 
the Lord delivered. The God of the universe has staged this entire episode. It is he who allows Babylon's armies to capture Jerusalem, and it is he who is working out his patient purposes. Yes, Nebuchadnezzar at one level tries to kind of take Yahweh and turn him into a piece of territorial plunder, but the God of the universe can't and won't be locked up in a cupboard. And then Daniel ends the chapter with this line, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. What's that about? Why does he say that? Because he's reminding his readers that God, as prophesied in the book of Jeremiah, is after 70 years going to raise up another king, King Cyrus, who's going to overthrow Babylon in turn and bring the exiles back to Jerusalem. God initiates the move to Babylon, and God initiates the return to Jerusalem. God knows the end from the beginning. So when the culture you live in challenges you in your faith, never believe that God has abandoned you. Never believe that somehow God's got parceled away or he's no longer active. God is at work in your life in the place of pressure, just as he was in the lives of Daniel and his friends. God is the director of this play, and he's written every role, including the Babylonian ones, including the role of that boss who you find a little tricky. God knows every situation of pressure that you're in, and he is with you, in every single one of them. And then you resist pressure better when you depend on the cornerstone of your community. Our greatest danger in situations like Daniel faces is that we become isolated, that we grow fatigued, our resolve dips, and our hope plummets. But God gives Daniel what we might call the first small group in the Bible, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And they, with Daniel, travel through the valley of the shadow of death together. God calls you into Christian family to grow in your identity, but also to mutually strengthen one another. And when I came to faith, I was working in a documentary production company. And frankly, I faced integrity challenges every single day. It was a very demanding, secular context. And some of the programs that were being produced by another company that was just next to where I sat were, frankly, uh, not the kind of things that I wanted to listen uh, being uh, produced and planned. And what was one of my biggest helps here, apart from spending time in prayer and reading the Bible, it was meeting a group of Christian men every Friday morning at 6.30 a.m., many of whom were in the media. And we could come with our integrity challenges that we were facing in our workplaces, and we could read a book like Daniel, and we could pray strong prayers for one another, and then we could go and have a big breakfast in a greasy spoon calf. It wasn't, it wasn't exactly Daniel's veggie diet, but it put iron in our souls. We put iron 
in each other's souls. And we need that in life. In close community with trusted brothers and sisters, we can remind ourselves and each other who we really are. Not what these names and roles are that the culture gives us, but who we really are in the eyes of God. And in chapter 5 of this book, Nebuchadnezzar's court, interestingly, is still calling Daniel by his original name. Somehow, he is still traveling, confirmed in his original identity. And I think it's because he's got mates around him who remind him who he really is. Never let anyone rob you of your name. And then fourth, you grow an ability to meet pressure when you know and experience the favor, the favor that follows faith. The way culture tries to remold any of us, it's really cunning. Because culture doesn't simply try and strip us of our own God-given identity, like we hear is happening with Daniel and the names. It also seeks to reward us by feeding us from the king's table. That's the way it helps us to become conformed. And we see this in Nebuchadnezzar wanting these youths to come and receive the rich food and the wine from his table, from the king's table. Culture's always going to offer you a payoff for you to trade in your integrity for some other delight. And you need to know what temptation you are vulnerable to. Because if you are vulnerable to a temptation the culture will find the way of offering you just that thing from the king's table, as it does here. So why do Daniel and his friends, why do they refuse the king's food and wine and embrace a vegetarian diet? Commentators offer different explanations. Here are a couple of them. Some say the friends are following Levitical law, Old Testament law. Some say that the king's food has been sacrificed to idols and the wine may have been mixed with blood. Some say that eating from the king's table represented a kind of sign of fellowship with the ruler. And Daniel and his friends are seeking to resist that. And it might be any or all of these. But I wonder if it isn't just that these youths who've been wrenched from their elite background, they just somehow know that food, that rich food, that tasty morsels, might just have a kind of power over them. And why do I say that? Because I remember the stormiest moment in uh, our student body when I was training at Theological College. And it happened when a small group of students um, pushed through a ruling that one day a week, no meat would be served at the college lunch. Uh, it would be a vegetarian meal. One lunch per week, and pandemonium <laughs> broke out in the college. Ordinance training to be future church leaders just turned on each other like in a bear pit. The meat eaters versus the veggies. It was ugly. Every major world issue that the student body was used to debating, human trafficking, poverty, gender inequality, global conflict, all sidelined by a debate about our Thursday lunch. Trying to change someone else's diet goes right to the 
part of who a person is. Having to eat food and drink that we don't want, it, it means something deep to us. It's somehow about power, and it's about control at a very deep, primal level. And this integrity challenge could have been the unmaking of Daniel's small group. But for them, integrity is living in alignment with the character and commands and promises of God. They're only going to eat from the king of kings table. No other table will do. So they embark on their 10-day fast, led by the Holy Spirit. And what does God do? He blesses them with a health and vigor that none of their contemporaries know. Led by the Holy Spirit and blessed by God's favor in giving them a helpful official to interact with, they respond sacrificially with an outcome that no one could have predicted. In places of pressure, by contrast, some of us here tonight may want to resort to force to kind of come back strongly at the aggressor. You remember Peter does that in the Garden of Gethsemane when he picks up the sword and whops off the high priest's servant's ear before Jesus rebukes him. Some of us might want to bail out of situations of pressure like that. I think of a a high-pressure work situation I was in at one point, which I fled. And I remember as I fled it, the phrase that just echoed in my head was, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. Some of us sometimes just can't stand the heat, and we have to get out of the kitchen. But is that where God wants us to go? Fight or flight or compromise is never part of God's agenda for us. Because the thing is, he actually isn't interested in our survival. God is not interested in our survival. It's far too minor an agenda for our lives. He doesn't want us just to survive when the temperature dial is turned up and we find ourselves in the fiery furnace or the lion's den. He wants us to thrive in those places, And he wants us to be able to influence the culture in those places for good. But that influence only comes after the testing. And it happens like this. When Daniel's friends are under pressure, their faith increases. Their faith has to increase because they're feeling weak. And when they feel weak, God's strength can just sweep. In. It begins with core integrity on Daniel's part. The text says he resolved not to defile himself, but then it enters a whole new dimension when God moves in that situation. You don't find your voice in the place of ease. You find your commitment to your deepest beliefs and your spiritual authority right in the place of pressure with God's backing. So if you're currently facing integrity challenges in your workplace or your neighborhood or in your family, it's because God is committed to your growth. 
And he wants you to have a destiny of influence. This is his very means of growing you. Because God does this next. He doesn't leave these young men with their inborn talents. He now supernaturally imparts to them extraordinary new gifts. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. God's favor follows their faith. And as we'll see in later weeks, God is actually going to raise up Daniel to effectively become prime minister of Babylon, which is extraordinary enough. But God doesn't even leave it there because the visions and dreams that Daniel is going to receive go right to the heart of spiritual reality. Go go so deep that they actually reveal the coming of Jesus six centuries before his actual birth. Alistair Campbell, who you'll remember used to be the spin doctor for Tony Blair, he once said of that administration, we don't do God. Daniel does political leadership and he does God. You can win a Thursday election like we've just had and have a radiant, living faith. They're not incompatible. So never believe the lie that the tide's gone out for you. Never believe the lie, if you're facing an integrity challenge, that the most prominent door of culture is barred to you. Because this book and this chapter shows us otherwise. Daniel and his friends refuse those lies. They trust in the faithfulness of the God of the universe, and he gives them a radiant influence in response. The one who is in you is stronger than the one who is in the world. It says this, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his kingdom. God is inviting you this evening, to set yourselves apart for him afresh. And he wants to give you a gifting beyond anything of those in the culture around you. Not to make you better, but so that you can bless them more effectively and powerfully. Let me come to a a kind of final wrestle that some of you may be having. Maybe some of you are thinking this situation, my situation, is impossible. Maybe you think my workplace is just too secular. It's too non-Christian. I could never receive a kind of platform of influence there. Maybe you can't see the way of resolving the role you have in the world and your faith. Well, consider this. I was debating this very issue last Sunday evening in the 6 p.m. service during the worship. I was thinking about this talk, and God suddenly reminded me of something I've, I've hardly thought about for 15 years, maybe twice. I suddenly remembered a moment when I worked as a theater director, before I became a Christian, when I was working effectively in Babylon, when I was a kind of little Nebuchadnezzar of my world, 
and I was directing a play, and in the play, there, were male, there was a male character and a female character. They were two servants of two different masters. And in the play, they were always meant to be flirting with each other. They had this kind of on-off relationship, and it was meant to be kind of quite, you know, quite sexy. And I was trying to get the male actor in the first week of rehearsal to kind of get into the spirit of this with the actress. It was a comedy, and it was, you know, quite light. But every time we rehearsed the scene, as soon as he got near the actress or she got near him, it's like he just turned around and, and walked away. He, something in him couldn't do it. And at the end of the day, I said to him, Greg, I'll give him that name, Greg, what's wrong? And he said, Mark, since you gave me this job a month ago after auditioning me, I've become a born-again Christian. And I'm not feeling comfortable with what this play is asking me to do. And I said he was employed to act in the play and serve the production, and that he had until the end of the week to decide between his faith and the role. I did what Babylon always does. It always seeks to polarize the issue and make it very divisive. And on a Friday evening, he told me that he'd have to resign from the production couldn't do it. And last Sunday night, I remembered this during the service. I was having a kind of faith wobble. And I, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm preaching on Daniel chapter one, but do you know what? Sometimes I think there are some jobs in life which you just can't reconcile with your faith. It's just not possible. Some jobs that Christians aren't meant to do. So I just have that memory and the service ended, and I came forward to pray for people, like I always do. And one person came forward to me. I'll call him Jake. He was a young undergrad. And Jake told me that he's currently rehearsing a production of a play that's quite violent. I know it, actually. And he asked for prayer. I've never been asked to pray for anyone here acting in any production since arriving at St. Aldate's. And Jake told me he feels uncomfortable in this production because the character he plays frequently swears and uses the Lord's name in vain. But he said he'd talked to the director and the director had agreed to cut those particular lines. And that Jake had actually found other ways of speaking about his faith to the whole production team. But he'd come forward for prayer because he wanted a bit of strengthening. And I told him what I just remembered about this actor who I'd released from this acting company and that I was preaching on Daniel 1 tonight. And he said, Daniel 1, oh, Daniel, yeah, how interesting. He said, the Lord spoke to me earlier this week and he said to me, I want you to do this production. I want you to stick with it. I'm putting you in the lion's den. I'm putting you in the lion's den. And I prayed to God, that he would strengthen Jake in that situation and for the integrity of his influence. Being under pressure doesn't mean you're not a true Christian or God has deserted you or you're in the wrong place to grow. The world needs your gifts and your integrity of character and that acting company needs Jake in its midst. God positions you uniquely and intentionally in your life. 
Trials and tests are not a sign of lack of favor, but they do reveal your heart in terms of the choices you make in response. God has got purposes for you in the place of pressure. And God will be the making of you in the place of pressure. And God is calling people into places of pressure tonight precisely to influence the culture around us. Because in the place of pressure, that's when growth and breakthrough and increase of influence come. In Jesus' name, amen.